Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today is Congressman Ami Berra. He is a Democrat from California who serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and is chair of the Subcommittee on Asia and the Pacific. He is also a medical doctor who has long championed global health issues. In fact, last November, he served on a Commission on Pandemic Preparedness that was convened by the Center for Strategic and International Studies that issued a series of recommendations, which today looks rather prescient. I caught up with Congressman Barra from his home in California, and we spoke just a day after President Trump announced that the United States was freezing funding for the World Health Organization. Needless to say, Congressman Barra strongly disagrees with that move, but it's his reasoning, I think, that is most instructive. He does a really good job in this conversation of explaining why preventing clusters of COVID-19 from taking hold in poor countries is required for securing the U.S. homeland. And he explains how the WHO is critical to that end. We cover other ground, too, including what their trajectory of the outbreak looks like here in the United States and how that trajectory might shape U.S. politics and foreign policy. This is a good conversation. I think you'll appreciate it. I always like speaking with members of Congress. Uh, for one, they're typically very good talkers. Uh, second, though, I always just like learning their unique perspective on key issues of the day. And obviously, no issue is more critical right now than COVID-19. And I appreciated Congressman Barrett taking his time to chat with me about it. So I just wanted to check in with you all. Uh, hopefully you are staying safe and figuring out ways to cope with this unique moment we are all living through. You know, you are not alone in coping with this. We are all in this together. If there's ever anything you need from me, if there's anything I can do to help you through this moment, please do reach out. I love hearing from you. Anything on your mind, feel free to send me an email. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I will read it, I will respond to it, and I will do what I can to help you out right now. All right, now here is my conversation with Congressman Ami Berra. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm just sort of curious to learn what is life like for a member of Congress right now? I mean, by definition, your work is to be out in public. You know, everything's changed. There's um, a new normal here. Obviously, we're observing stay-at-home orders to the extent possible. Um, I'm also a physician, so, you know, staying in close contact with 
my former colleagues at the University of California Davis Medical Center. My wife's also a physician, so she's out um, doing the work of keeping our community safe. So, yeah, we're still pretty active, but you know, I, I think all of us just staying at home right now. You're learning how to use Zoom. You're learning how to video conference, teleconference, and the days are still pretty busy. But um, you miss that human activity and that human connection. Uh, I mean, what are you preparing for when Congress resumes? You know, as chair of the um, subcommittee on Asia and the Pacific um, for the House Foreign Affairs Committee, we've been holding um, telebriefings. So looking at things like lessons we could learn from um, Asia, you know, from Singapore, South Korea, even China. So, you know, that will help us here in our domestic um, capacity. Yeah, we're also looking at um, the supply chain issues. You know, this um, pandemic has really demonstrated you know, this over-reliance on a, a single source supply chain. And you know, what does that look like? How's that impacted our ability to deal with the pandemic, um, protective equipment, et cetera? And how do you build redundancy into the supply chain? So those are two areas that, you know, the subcommittee I chair will certainly be be looking at. And then just as a doctor who does global health security and pandemic preparedness, you know, how do we make sure when we do start to open up um, we do that following data and science in a safe way that doesn't put our domestic population at risk. But then how do we also re-engage in the global health security conversation? Because this isn't a virus that respects um, borders, um, religions, you know, one one country. It's We're all going to have to be in this together as a global world. So that actually leads me into my next question. So we are speaking a day after President Trump announced that the United States was withholding funding for the World Health Organization. Now, I, I take it you think that's a terrible idea. Um, can you explain what is what was your initial reaction when you heard that announcement yesterday? I think it is a big, big mistake with an explanation point. Um, the United States needs to be a global leader here. We need to, to step up and understand that um, it is in our interest to continue to support the World Health Organization and the global health community because, you know, if we don't address the, the virus, particularly in less developed nations that are less resourced, you know, it will mean the virus is going to be with us for a much longer period of time. Um, Hopefully, we will come up with a vaccine um, sooner than later. But when we come up with that vaccine, we are going to have to launch a massive vac global vaccination campaign. Um, and that will take organizations like the World Health Organization. So pulling funding out of it is not global leadership. And I think it is a big, big mistake. Can you explain that relationship between combating COVID-19 overseas, particularly in less developed countries in, in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, it, it was an interesting sort of juxtaposition that the same day that the Trump administration announced it was withholding funding for the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization announced it was mounting this massive airlift of PPE and other equipment throughout Africa. Like, what is that relationship between preventing clusters of cases in Africa and protecting the U.S. homeland? Look, we, we learned a lot if we just go back and look at the 2014-2015 Ebola crisis and you know, some of the um, instruments that we put in place um, within U.S. domestic funding, but also uh, in, in the global funding programs like PREDICT, which would go out and help train 
folks in, in West Africa and, and elsewhere to, to build their own healthcare capacity. You know, I, I do think, you know, some of the best work that USAID does in conjunction with um, global NGOs and um, the UN community is really going out there, identifying the, the resources and assets in um, developing countries, building off of those assets, and then helping them build their own capacity to address the challenges that they see. We've got to do that in real time right now. And you know, as the world's wealthiest nation, the United States really does have a responsibility to, to contribute their fair share. China has a responsibility as you know, the, the second leading economy to con- contribute their fair share as well. But let's do this together. Um, and let's and the World Health Organization is the vehicle by which we do that. In, in your opinion, like what would be an appropriate manifestation of the United States undertaking that responsibility? Like what would that look like? What would be the best way for the United States right now to support health systems in the developing world? So I think a, a couple of things. First, let's take um, politics out of this. Yeah, there'll be time to do oversight on how China addressed um, you know, the initial reports of this novel coronavirus whether they were transparent, what, you know, and, and legitimately they could have done more. But at this point, it's all of us having to work together to get ahead of this virus. So a, a couple of things, it, it isn't just the direct funding. When you look at the Centers for Disease Control, we have some of the best scientists, some of the best virologists. Um, we're going to all have to work together to come up with an effective vaccine that is safe that we can then distribute, not just for the U.S. domestic population, but um, for the global population. That is truly how we will uh, ultimately defeat COVID-19. In addition, we know that we are a global supply chain now, that we won't be able to ramp up um, production of that vaccine without working with our partners around the world. And let's figure out how to do that. So now's not the time to pick a political fight. Now's the time for us to all work together, put out our best scientists, our best um, researchers, our best doctors, work together, and then figure out what is that global health core look like? How do we quickly train up those workers to, to go out there and protect those vulnerable populations, but also ultimately go out and do this mass vaccination campaign that we know we're going to need? I mean, on that mass vaccination campaign, I mean, can you foresee... Uh, a time, say a year from now, or whenever a vaccine is is available, and I'd ask you when you think a vaccine might be available. Uh, but whenever it is available, assuming that you know there is good testing here in the U.S., there's good contact tracing here in the U.S., is the idea that so long as vaccines are not widely available abroad, we'll keep getting imported cases of COVID nineteen that could you know disrupt progress against the disease here. Um, very much so. So again. Obviously, a lot of our focus right now is addressing the domestic challenge that we see here in the United States, but we also have to play a longer game and understand the the global um, challenge that we face and and the interconnected nature of this virus and the interconnected nature of global health. So let me me start by thinking about the domestic challenge. We really do have to build up our own um, testing capabilities, and that's looking at the diagnostic tests that Um, will tell us whether a person has the virus or doesn't have the virus. In addition, we need to build up our own public health um, response corps, the public health workforce, which really has been depleted over the years in the United States. Um, Those are the folks that if um, clusters of virus do pop up, 
can go out there and make the diagnosis, do the contact tracing that we've seen so well in places like um, the Republic of Korea and, and Singapore and elsewhere. Um, but while we're training that workforce up, you know, once we get ahead of our domestic challenge here, it would be my hope that those are folks that could be deployed worldwide to, to help deal with less resourced countries. Um, in addition, as we build up hopefully um, more reliable and less costly diagnostic testing, um, that is also something that hopefully we can um, fund and deploy around the world to, to help those developing countries build up their capabilities. But in truth, you know, even the best case projections here domestic we are, even if we get a vaccine early next year, um, we're probably dealing with this virus through 2022. Um, and you won't see the large levels of herd immunity for a while. This is a foreign affairs show, international affairs show, but I am firmly of the belief that U.S. foreign policy stems from domestic conditions. Um, and as a member of Congress, I'm, I'm sure you see that connection between domestic issues and foreign policy every day. So, you know, to that end, um, how do you see sort of living with COVID-19 here in the United States for the next couple of years um, ha- affecting domestic politics in a way that will influence foreign policy? Yeah, so the, um, first and foremost, we obviously have elections coming up in November. So, you know, knowing Vice President Biden fairly well, who's a presumptive Democratic nominee at this juncture and assuming President Trump is running for re-election, which we assume that he that he is. Um, there are really two different approaches um, from a potential Biden administration versus a potential Trump administration. I think that's the the first step. You know, Vice President Biden, um, if you look at his history in the the Senate, historically has understood the the, the global nature of things. Obviously, he chaired Senate Foreign Relations, and um, you know. Has those relationships? You know, President Trump, through his tenure, has had more isolationist tendencies. So I think that's the first big piece: is who wins this election, and you know what administration is being sworn in in January of 2021. That said, for us as Congress, you know, we can't gamble on one administration versus another. I think we have to think about you know what resources do we need to keep our economy afloat. Here, but how do we make the case that it is of our domestic importance to address um, these issues overseas? And that's why, again, the, the withdrawal of or the putting on hold the $500 million, um, of World Health Organization funding, I think, just sends a, a real bad signal. And lastly, the world is a better place, I believe, with um, U.S. leadership and U.S. engagement. Often it's fallen to the United States to to push the global community to uh, address issues like the refugee crisis, issues of um, humanitarian um, issues. We know that, um, you know, there's already rampant food insecurity around the world. And absent that U.S. leadership, and it matters to us domestically, anyone can fill that um, vacuum. And we may not like um, what those outcomes are. So, I mean, I wanted to maybe bring this home a little bit for for you. So, you know, I'm reaching in California. You represent uh, an area around Sacramento. How is the how is this sort of world historic event that we're all living through um, affecting your constituents in a way that might influence how you view U.S. responsibility and roles around the world? 
Like, what are you hearing from your constituents that might impact and affect your thinking or change your thinking at all on foreign policy? You know, our, our constituents, um, I think, are waking up to the reality that this is going to be a long-term um, disruption of what was previously their normal lives. And we have no idea what that new normal looks like. So whereas California tends to be a, you know, a, a state that is fairly well connected with the rest of the world, you know, we're an export-driven economy, we have a lot of tourism, and Californians travel a lot, you know, what does that no- new normal look like? And you know, so I think people are starting to think about that. You know, we had a pretty robust economy here in California and you know, in Sacramento, we had a, a thriving restaurant scene. You know, we have the Sacramento Kings sports um, basketball team. We um, just got a new soccer franchise. All of those things are likely going to be delayed. We don't see big sporting events coming back, et cetera. You know, a lot of us were looking forward to the Olympics in Tokyo, and you know, obviously those are delayed for a year. So I think there's a sinking um, reality that life will be different, and we don't know what that new normal is. Um, with regards to how we're connected to the rest of the world, you know, Sacramento is a pretty diverse community, and you know we've seen some direct impact of um, you know, some of the the xenophobic comments, like. Um, the, the the Chinese virus or the Wuhan flu, you know, those are not helpful because this is a virus again that doesn't recognize one eth- ethnicity or one religion. Um, so that you know, that's something that's um, conscious on our mind, especially as you do kind of hear this from Vita. Well, it's China's fault. You know, a virus isn't anyone's fault. It's something that's affecting all of us, and you know, certainly. Um, there, there's oversight that needs to be done, but you know that that's not helpful. So, you know, as a member of Congress, you are an appropriator. Uh, you know, you set the budget for the federal government. Um, it seems like we are in for a long period of of economic, you know, decline, perhaps, or, or economic struggling or stagnation, however you want to call it. Uh, yet, at the same time, you're making an argument for increased investments overseas. I mean, will there be money to, to 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 make those investments to you know do the kind of pandemic preparedness and you know COVID nineteen mitigation and vaccine rollouts that that we need to defeat the this this new virus? You know that that's a, a great question. I certainly hope so. Um, even under the best of circumstances, it is very difficult to get people to pay attention to global health security and pandemic preparedness. I know that all too well. I've done so many episodes of this show on that issue. And it's just like, until now, no one's been paying attention to it. So yeah, I, I know. And we'll talk about the report that you uh, put together in November 2019 about all this too. Exactly. So uh, everyone's paying attention to it. So now is the time for us to build that global health infrastructure, global health security structure, especially, again, if we know we're going to need that to get ahead of this crisis. You know, domestically, we're talking about building this COVID-19 um, response corps of potentially up to 100,000 um, individuals, Peace Corps volunteers, alumni, um, AmeriCorps, city year folks. Um, and that has the potential of exposing a lot of young people to what public health actually is all about. Um, you know, I think we, we need a global public, global health um, core as well. So, 
you know, there is this opportunity for us to think differently about it. It also accomplishes um, and becomes a jobs program, puts a lot of people who are out of work to work doing something that we actually need to do. So it's an economic stimulus program as well. So there's that opportunity to kind of appropriate some of those funds, doing something that we know we need to do, but hopefully long-term uh, allows us to keep ourselves safer. So, so you foresee like an FDR-style public works administration, but for COVID response? Um, absolutely. We know we need it. So if we're going to have to do um, diagnostic testing, contact tracing, we don't have the public health workforce to do that here domestically, let alone internationally. So it is going to take a massive training effort. And that also then will help us when we do have a vaccine to do mass vaccination. But it also hopefully builds a, a, a generation of folks that, that can continue to do public and global health. Um, so uh, I just referenced your uh, participation in a commission convened by the Center for Strategic and International Studies on uh, health security and, and pandemic preparedness. And, and your, that report was published in November 2019, which, again, goes to show that you know, this is not something that people did not foresee or were not predicting. This is something that people in the global health community like yourself have been warning about for a very long time. Just you know, very few people have been paying attention. Um what did you learn uh, from that report that um, is applicable today? You know, we, we have been thinking about this for a while. So um, the idea for the COVID-19 response report comes out of one of the recommendations we made in that report, which was having a crisis response corps that could be deployed around the world. Um, obviously, we talked about global health security funding. You know, we, we certainly advocate for that. Um, one of the organizations that has been around, but the U.S. has not participated um, in as much is, is CEPI, which um, we're going to need to look at vaccine candidates and get those developed more quickly. That's one of the recommendations that we made. That and I should say CEPI is this um, international um, conglomeration between public and private sector groups that you know works on vaccine development and deployment in you know these kinds of situations. CEPI exactly, and and it, it is important. And then and you know people have talked about this global health security challenge fund, um, which you know essentially would you know, be billions of dollars, but would help fund some of the the gaps that that are out there. And I think those are four things that we ought to be thinking about doing right now um, in the immediate crisis that'll help us through this pandemic. But then there are also things that we should think about long-term. Lastly, as you look forward, forward towards the next you know, couple of weeks and, and few months, what sort of what kind of key moments or key inflection points will suggest to you um, what the future may hold for the United States? So the um, initial things that we're watching pretty closely are new hospital admissions, um, ICU admissions. Um, we fully expect that we'll continue to see um, more COVID-19 positive cases that are confirmed as we ramp up diagnostic testing capabilities. We also think we will continue to see more deaths um, because that's a lagging indicator that really looks back two weeks ago. But the, the leading indicators are hospital admissions and ICU admissions. Um, when we see those numbers starting to come down, I think you will see communities and, and states across the country starting to think about how can we safely open up. And it, it will happen in tranches. First, you have to make sure you have 
enough diagnostic testing capabilities. That's the test. That's the nasal swab that says you have the disease and you don't have the disease. When you feel comfortable that you have enough for any new cases, as well as the contact t- tracing that's necessary, um, there's a second test that's called a, a serologic test, the antibody test that you know different countries have developed and, and you know it's currently being studied here in the United States and in development. That tells us who's actually immune to this virus, has antibodies to this virus. We're still learning a lot about the virus, but you know, it'll be an important metric to understand the level of immunity in a, a community or state. Um, those folks likely are at low risk to get reinfected. And then lastly, we know we will continue doing the physical distancing. You know, we likely will continue to wear uh, face coverings for a, a while until we get a, a vaccine and get to the level of herd immunity that, that you need to protect us. So um, we're in this for the long haul. and We have to stay in this together, not just as a, a community or a country, but as, as a world. Because, again, you know, this virus is going to affect all of us. Uh, well, Congressman, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Thank you. Be safe. Be well. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Congressman Barra. He's you know, one of those members of Congress who has been at this issue for a, a long time, who has been keen on global health and a champion of global health. So it's good to good to chat with him. So if you are someone who consumes this podcast week in, week out, two episodes a week, every week, without fail, uh, and you are in a position to do so, I would so appreciate your support. Please consider becoming a premium subscriber. When you become a premium subscriber, you are also able to unlock a series of rewards. I have a number of bonus episodes that I post on a weekly basis, plus You have access to my daily global news clips service called Don's Digest. Plus, I'll send you a sticker in the mail if you want one. There are more bonuses as well, but I thought I would plug those. Go to patreon.com slash global dispatches to learn more and become a premium subscriber. I so appreciate your support. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye.